0: You know that that one case and that happened fairly early in my career really did help me redefine hey what what does winning really mean in this process
1: helping families and businesses transform conflict is a full-time calling for mediator kevin fuller kevin is a well-respected and very experienced trial attorney who has tried cases across texas in front of judges and juries And Kevin will tell you that when he was his most successful in litigation, he often saw how devastating the results could be. Kevin's here today to talk with us about mediation, about alternative dispute resolution, and collaborative divorce. Kevin, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to be here with us.
0: It's great to be with you.
1: Tell tell us how um, your experience as a trial attorney has shaped your commitment to helping families find resolution.
0: Well, I think you know all those years I spent in the um, in the courtroom helped me um, fully appreciate you know what that system could and couldn't do for uh, people, for families, for children, for businesses, and I don't I don't think I would have the, um, the passion for mediation. Uh, the passion for collaborative law, the passion for alternative dispute uh, resolution processes that I have uh, without spending all those years uh, in, in the courtroom and seeing how the, how that really worked and how it really didn't work.
1: Um, I love it. I, I took that right off of your website when you say that when you were at your most successful, it was most destructive for families. What do you mean by that?
0: Well, the you know the the courtroom it is kind of the end result of our adversary process, and uh, you hear trial lawyers and people talk about it as a battle. You know, it's a war. Uh, you know, it's it's certainly uh, it's certainly all that. Um, it's destructive in the sense, um, you know, just from a material. Um, uh, standpoint, uh, you know, to go into court, to be successful in court, uh, to, to get the best results that you can, uh, that costs a lot of money. And many times uh, I found myself in court and, you know, maybe we won a uh, $100,000 or maybe we won half a million or maybe we won a million. Um, but it costs, you know, if it was a $100,000 case, it costs $75,000 uh, in, in attorney's fees to go win that battle. And to me, um, that might have been a win for me personally as a trial lawyer, uh, but it was hard to look at that and call that a win. And I, I tell people all the time um, I got tired of winning. Uh, nuclear wars, you know, going to court, uh, getting the court or the jury to do pretty much what I was asking them to do, uh, but for my clients, it being a huge disaster of one kind or another. So, the material part was part of it. Uh, to me, the even worse part, though, is a lot of a lot of times uh, the things that that uh, parents have to do and say in court uh, to. To advocate their case or try to show what they're showing, um, the things that lawyers do and say in court to you know to try to win, um, are really really destructive uh, to families, uh, to relationships. You know there are things that are said and done in courtrooms um, that cannot be unsaid or undone, and a lot of those. Um, are really painful. A lot of those are really destructive. And, you know, achieving a win at the cost of destroying what little relationship uh, you had with your former spouse, you know, with the the mother or father of your children, um, you know, a lot of times that's a a really hollow uh, victory over the long term, especially uh, for the children. Um, Businesses, get destroyed uh, a lot of times in, in litigation. You know, I, I used to tell my business clients, I said, look, you know, we go to court, all your competitors, and maybe your creditors, uh, maybe Uncle Sam, the tax folks, they are gonna be watching. And I had uh, a number of clients, you know, come through the divorce uh, successfully, uh, only to turn around and get in a battle with their partners or, or, or competitors uh, learn something about the business uh, you know, from the fallout of the divorce and use that to their advantage. Um, banks got scared, called loans that they normally wouldn't have called. Uh, people lost careers and jobs uh, over what they had to talk about in their divorce that didn't sit well with their companies, especially you know, uh, people who had jobs in publicly traded companies, or in government, or something like that, and so you know, winning, winning a divorce case uh, at the expense of all those things—again, it's you know, oh boy, you know, we won we a nuclear war, and so what kind of win is that?
1: Exactly, and I, I think people, um, if if they've been fortunate enough not to have to go through the litigation process aren't always aware that, you know, when the case is over at the trial court, it doesn't mean the war is over, right? right? Right. And so they can end up facing years of litigation after they get the win, Um, and it it doesn't end there.
0: Many many of the bigger trials that I tried in my career, um, I had sitting in the courtroom behind me, um, a team of appellate lawyers that were watching the trial. always telling me all the stuff I was doing wrong, all that kind of (laughs) stuff, but their job was, especially some of the harder cases, the messier cases where we anticipated uh, a a courtroom loss. Um, That team was there to look for errors, look for ways to appeal, look for things to do on the next level. And a a lot of my litigation clients, I would tell, you know, the ones, uh, uh, not the ones that were kind of defending all the noise, you know, the, maybe the rich tycoon, not that person, uh, but maybe the person who was uh, attacking the power or, or or trying to get money from the person that controlled it. Uh, I would tell them many times, uh, if we're gonna go through this process and really be successful, you need to mentally, financially, uh, emotionally, spiritually prepare yourself for what might be, Uh, a five to 10 year war uh, to get through all ends of the litigation process. And and there's not many people uh, that are set up in a way where they can wait that long for, you know, their financial result anyway out of of a divorce. And, you know, it's just part of our process. You you know, the trial, uh, the the, the winning at trial, that's round one. Court of Appeals is round two. Supreme Court of Texas is round three, up to the Supreme Court of the United States, if that's there, is round four. Uh, some people take bankruptcy along the way, and that creates a round five, and I mean, that's that's a and lot just, of litigation.
1: And just trying to get the award um, creates a whole other round as well.
0: My dad used to say, "There's there's the check you can get the jury to write. And then there's a check you can cash and you need to pay attention to the check you can cash.
1: Exactly. And another thing a lot of people aren't aware of is they think family law proceedings are private in the courthouse and they're not. They are open um, in most cases for people from the public to come in and these days they're on YouTube. So that's something people need to be considering <laughs> is how public do you want all of all of your affairs? That's right.
0: And that, that you know, um, That, to me, that is a major consideration for a lot of families, a lot of families that have uh, competitive businesses. Um, Are you sure you want to have a lawsuit, litigate that in in a forum that's public? And and really people that don't like you so much, maybe your business uh, competitors or enemies. Uh, have access to to whatever's going on in your divorce. And and that's, rarely does a family want to show so much of themselves um, to other people.
1: So years ago, while you were still in private practice um, representing clients in the divorce process, you became a leader in the collaborative divorce process. Tell us a little bit about your journey into finding, uh, learning about collaborative divorce and really taking it on.
0: I think um, it, it really kind of follows my uh, maturity as a human being in a little bit. Uh, you know, when I first uh, when I first started as a lawyer, I wanted to be a trial lawyer. I didn't really care what, what kind of lawsuits I was trying. I wanted to be in the courtroom. And right at first, man, I loved being in the courtroom. I loved, uh, uh, to me, it was like playing football with a suit on. I mean, I just loved The competitiveness of it all, the strategy, the theater. Um, uh, I I love that part of being a trial lawyer. But pretty early on, after I'd been at it four or five years, you know, just kind of the um, impact that all that was having on real life human beings and children and, and families and people um really you know kind of started uh, taking its toll on me it, you know I was I was having a, to pause and look what all my competitiveness was costing people and and not just in money um and I think that started grinding on me and along the way um I, I ran into this problem of what is winning me uh, I'll never forget, I had a case early on, um, uh, husband and wife, the husband had a girlfriend, big job, lots of money, real powerful. Uh, my client was, uh, had next to no job, kind of no power in the relationship. And uh, we were negotiating and I remember you know, the guy made a 50-50 to the penny uh, offer. Um, on a not a huge estate at all, probably less than two hundred thousand bucks, but a fifty-fifty offer, and I was offended by that. Uh, my client was certainly offended by that. I mean, this guy had, had an affair, had lots of money, and I, I remember kind of telling him, you know, that that ain't ever going to happen. I'll see your butt in court. You know, I was that was back when I was young and cocky and all that kind of stuff. So off to court we go, and uh, this guy's on the stand. I'm just you know <laughs> chewing on him the whole time he's just looking at me you know with this look. Uh, his girlfriend comes to court, I chew on her I mean we have a trial uh, after it's over with my client is uh you know so grateful uh you know that that her husband was uh, held to account that this other woman was. Brought to the courthouse and shamed, I guess, if you will. But the guy, when we were leaving the deal, he said, um, "You know, I want you to go back and look at my letter of June 1st, you know, '95, whatever it was. I want you to go look at that offer, and that's all he said." I went, "All right, yeah, sure, right, buddy." You know, it was just a. <laughs> And so the case was over, we got the ruling, got a nice split, you know, I don't know, 60, 65 split. I mean, it was as trial lawyers uh, as trial lawyers would talk about it, you know, it was a, it was a whooping. Um, but I eventually did go look at that letter and his 50-50 offer that he had made me like a year and a half before we tried the case. When I looked at the dollar amounts that were there for my client, Mm-hmm. And what I got her from whooping him in the courtroom, it was significantly uh, less. And in terms of what my client really needed to take care of herself, to take care of her kids with almost no job prospects, no real way to accumulate wealth, uh, that difference, you know, that 50 to 75 thousand dollar difference, whatever it was, uh, had a huge impact on it and uh, you know that changed me um, because it it kind of redefined what a win is in family law and you know that that one case and that happened fairly early in my career really did help me redefine hey what does winning really mean in this process and made me pay more attention to that um and so that pushed me more and more to look at you know maybe it was okay to settle a case I didn't have to I didn't have to fight everything that moved. Um, and then once I started trying to learn how to settle cases, um, you know one of the problems I had in the adversary uh, process, and this is back when mediation was first starting, nobody wanted to play. Uh, everybody wanted to play courtroom. Nobody wanted to play settlement. and so it was really hard sometimes to. Uh, get people to seriously discuss uh, uh, settlement. Um, Why
1: do you think that is? What was it at the time? Because I think we still run into that today where people really feel like you know fighting it out is the way to go. but I, I always say it's like a it's like a itch. If you scratch it, you end up with a big wound.
0: Yeah, um, I think some of it was just the culture mm-hmm. of um, you know, family lawyers at the time. We 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 very much looked upon ourselves as trial lawyers, you know, as uh, as warriors and protectors of the of the people that we represented, and it was a little bit of a culture thing. Um, I've been I've been doing this a little over thirty five years now, and it's changed a bunch, and, and changed for the better. I, I think a family lawyer today, a really good one. Certainly has the ability uh, to go in our legal system and be a, a an advocate in that environment, but there as a profession we're taking a more holistic approach to hey what are we what are we doing here uh, what does a win look for look like for a for a family and so it's a little less um, let's sort this out in court and a little more um, court is becoming more and more uh, a place of last resort instead of first instinct. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, when Collaborative came along in, I guess, 2000, 2001 or two, I was instantly drawn to it because it changed the playing field. Um, You know, the whole legal Legal process is an adversary process. I mean, it's the whole design of all our rules, rules of procedure, rules of evidence, all that kind of stuff, is to set up the rules uh, for what the battle is going to look like, and and so all the end games uh, lead to that courtroom. Now,
1: I want to I want to interject here real quick because we throw around adversarial process. All the time, because we know what that means. But a lot of people who might be watching this don't really know. They may have some idea. How do you define an adversarial process?
0: So it, it's it's just a contested environment, and uh, I mean it's a um, like uh, you say the house is uh, uh, worth a hundred grand. I say, well, not so much. Okay, that's pretty common in all environments. Um, but we go have a contest about it, and. Uh, You put your witness on the stand, your appraiser, and I'm trying to attack that appraiser as either being an idiot or lying or doesn't know what they're doing or appraise the wrong house or whatever it is. Um, And that's without regard to what the true value of the house is. I don't care. I care what my client says it is. And, And that's what that process is about. Same thing for my opponent. They don't really care what the true value of the house is. They only care what their client says it is. And so it's a pitched battle, right. and then the judge decides.
1: And and I think what you just used was a really key term that people don't understand, that you're taking mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, and you're making them opponents. They are playing against each other. Oh,
0: it's with kids. I, I tell my mediation clients this all the time. Our, our mental health community tells us, maybe the worst thing we can do with our children is have parental conflict in the home. Uh, Whether you're a married couple or a divorcing couple, conflict um, in the presence of your kids, their awareness, one of the most damaging things we can do as parents to our children. And so the family law system says, oh, the problem is parental conflict. Oh, we got a great answer for that. You're not arguing hard enough. You need a professional arguer to help you make your points. And so what we'll do is this poor family that's in conflict, we're going to go get a couple of professional arguers and put you in a pitched battle, and we'll figure out who's right on this thing. Oh, my God. What kind of answer is that? You know, what kind of answer is that for conflict?
1: and i think you know when you, when you've been doing this a while what you see happen is how serious of an impact it has on children and you don't have to be a mental health professional to know when you've got your clients kiddos who are ending up in in a psych ward because of the parental conflict or they're threatening suicide or, or worse. i mean the costs are so high for parental conflict
0: i mean people um you know, people all the time, uh, you know, because I'm a divorce lawyer, say, well, tell us some war stories. And back in the day, I had a list of four or five stories that I would tell that were, I thought were funny. And, and looking back on them, you know, my war stories now are how many clients I've had or their spouses who have taken their own lives, mm-hmm. uh, either during the divorcing process or... or or shortly thereafter, uh, how many children we've lost to uh, suicide uh, because of um, kind of the fallout from all that professional uh, arguing at at its worst. Not every case is like that by any means, but a lot, you know, too many of them uh, have ended that way. And, uh, you know, I can look at a, a lot of the jury trials that I've tried. And with a significant number of them, um, there is fallout like that, Uh, and it's you know it's devastating. And so, you were you know what motivated me? Uh, Well, I didn't like you know I really didn't like being a part of that. Um, I was having trouble getting people to play settlement. And the whole process I was involved in was a fighting process versus a solution process. And so when Collaborative came along, uh, from its biggest, uh, from the you know, biggest viewpoint, it's a process that says, look, we've got problems, we've got conflict, nobody agrees, nobody likes each other. We've got all that. But we're going to set up a process where the end game is not a battle. It's not a war. It's a solution. That's what we're trying to come to, is a solution without uh, a war or a battle. And so it's a completely different game. Um, in the collaborative process, you know, the lawyers act different because they're not trying to set the other lawyer or their client up uh, to be taken down you know, in, in, a, in some kind of litigation context. It's, there's, there's certainly advocacy going on but it's at a completely different level with a completely different pur- purpose. And so I love that. You know, finally I could get somebody to play settlement with me that was really going to play settlement. You know, they weren't gaming me uh, to just cut my legs out from under me in a, in, a, in a trial somewhere.
1: Because one of the important features of collaborative is the collaborative commitment that the professionals also make. So if the case doesn't settle in collaborative divorce, right. the lawyers get fired. That, right. So that means we all have a vested interest when we're sitting around that table.
0: And that's a big deal. Uh, the, the biggest mistakes I made as a lawyer uh, representing clients was either uh, they came in two flavors. Uh, either I had my war general hat on uh, when I should have been had my diplomat hat on, or it's just the opposite. I had my diplomat hat on when I should have had my war general hat on. And the thing I like about the collaborative option is it sets up a process where it's safer for, for me as an attorney trying to help somebody to know, hey, in this process, the only hat I wear is the diplomat's hat. Um, I'm, I'm not gonna make a, a strategic uh, general's mistake in this environment because it's all, it's all solution. It's all peacemaking, maybe too, you know, too <laughs> strong of a word, but it is a solution-making process. Um, in the litigation process, it's still hard. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of settlement that goes on in the litigation process. Far and away, most cases settle in that process. But for the lawyer, you gotta wear two hats. You gotta wear, you gotta keep your war general hat on because you are in a process where the other side has a constitutional right to, to take you to a jury trial if they want to. At the same I'm time- I'm gonna
1: interject there because I think that's another thing that people don't often realize is that in Texas, our family law cases, our divorce cases and custody cases can be tried in front of a jury.
0: And and And, and people have a constitutional undeniable right to do that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's bad I mean that, that is a big battle, a big contest. And so when you're a lawyer in a normal litigation case, um, you need to keep your eye, you know, eyes and ears open because you you know there is always a possibility that the case can come completely off the rails. And, and you've got to you got to be thinking about what you did not said in a in a courtroom context. At the same time, um, as we've been talking about, for most families, most couples, most businesses, um, ending things with a contested trial is is not the way to go. And so you're trying you know you're trying to be diplomatic, but you still got to keep your eye. It, it's hard. It makes to me makes the lawyer's job incredibly hard to skillfully maneuver their, their client through kind of both of those paths. In collaborative, the focus is singular. You know, I don't have to worry about all that. I, I'm absolutely still an advocate in trying to help my client and get their interests met and all those sorts of things. But I don't have to worry about all the strategic games, if you will, uh, that I do when I'm in the other system.
1: I love the focus on solutions. Um, How have you seen collaborative divorce benefit um, the people that, you know, either clients or even in your work as a mediator, how have you seen it benefit people, families? uh,
0: Well, lots of ways. Uh, First, let's just talk about money, material. I'm, I'm more active as a mediator now than anything else. That's pretty much exclusively what I'm doing these days. But when I was an active collaborative uh, lawyer, I was also an active trial lawyer at the same time. And one of the statistics that I kept at the time was how much is all this costing my clients? And when I, when I kind of finished up my collaborative active career, I had close to 100 cases and I could take the fees that my clients had paid me from those hundred collaborative cases, um, and with what the, the fees that my clients uh, paid me from six of my litigation cases would have paid for all 100 of the collaborative cases. And most of my collaborative cases were, were substantial cases. Big, big, complicated cases with a lot of issues and controversies in them. So, you know, a hundred for the price of, (laughs) you know, six or six for the price. I mean, it's, it was, that was a huge thing. Um, The second thing is for my financial clients where we were involved in uh, businesses, you know, trying to distribute wealth out of a business or, or something like that. My results uh, for those clients, no comparison, no comparison to what was available to them uh, in our litigation process or or going to court, none. Uh, So they got better financial results, both ends, you know, whoever was paying, uh, whoever was receiving.
1: And, and part of that is, I also think people don't realize is that courts are constrained by the family code in terms of what options they have available to them. Right. And so when we're working outside of the courts, anything's possible. We're not, yeah. We don't have those same restrictions in place. So. Yeah,
0: the court's got maybe three or four tools. Yeah. Uh, in the collaborative process, or other, you may have a thousand tools uh, <laughs> to, uh, to fix that same problem. Families, you know, children, oh my goodness. Any divorce is hard, gonna be, I think, the most devastating, difficult thing that anybody ever goes through. But, and that, the collaborative process helps with that, but it doesn't, it doesn't take away how hard it is, how difficult and painful it is. But the process is not anywhere near uh, as destructive. And so the difference in sort of what those children's lives look like, you know, kind of post-divorce is, is not really comparable.
1: It's uh, night so, and day.
0: Night and day, and so that's, that's a benefit. And then, you know, time, uh, goodness, grief, wear and tear on your, your spirit, uh, your soul, your, your kind of mental health, emotional health, um, kind of no comparison. Not to say that the collaborative process and mediation and those kinds of things are easy, but they're way, 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 way less worse <laughs> uh, than than the, than the contested environment of a courtroom.
1: I think that's such an important point to drive home, in part because when we're settling either in mediation or in collaborative, it is focused on solution. Where in litigation, it's focused on you know, arguments and destruction and and winning, winning and losing. Your, it's making the other side lose is what the focus it's, it's is. It's
0: winning your point, yeah. whatever, whatever it is.
1: And it comes at a high cost. Uh, um, So I want to switch a little bit and talk about your mediation practice. You and your wife, Charla, who's also a very experienced trial attorney and mediator, left the practice of law several years ago and... Uh, to commit yourselves to helping families mediate controversies. Um, so tell us a little bit about that transition and, and how things are working for you all right now.
0: It you know, it it's just been great on every level. Um, in my professional life, and you know, I think Charlotte would say the same thing. Um, well, I'll just speak for me. In my professional life, when I was at my old firm, like I said, I was doing collaborative cases and I was doing litigation cases. And so I was always doing both and um, had a lot of internal conflict about that, uh, had a lot of difficulty being able to focus on, on truly what my, my passion was, which was, you know, when I got towards the end of my courtroom career, it was really more about solutions than, than courthouse victories. And so by becoming a full-time mediator, I got to stay 100% in the solution business. And um, for me personally and professionally, man, I really, really, really love that. Every day, um, my job is to try to come into a a family and help them find a a solution uh, that's uh, constructive, hopefully, but if we can't get to constructive, you know, it's less, worse. Than what 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 their other alternatives are and i love having that as my kind of only job i don't have this other job you know that calls me into battle and um that's one of the things i like about it um as a as a human um as just a person it's been way way easier um you know just on me personally on my spirit on my soul on my mental health and um uh, Emotional health. I mean, I've just got a great job. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody or shame anybody or destroy anybody uh, or having to protect people from those things. Uh, uh, it's just a different environment. And I'm, I've really, really, really been enjoying it.
1: Um, we often hear that, I mean, most cases will end up settling before they go to court, which in most instances is a very good thing. Um, what, can you shed a little more light on that? Like, how, I, what are the odds a case is gonna settle mediation? Why should somebody be considering mediation?
0: I, I, I think my, I keep statistics on everything. And, you know, in terms of cases that, that have have settled, Uh, Out of my practice, it's around 94%. Um, I think that's about the same as sort of litigation cases in general, you know, 90 to 95% of cases uh, are most likely going to settle without having to go to a full contested trial. Um, The thing is, (laughs) um, where along the way do you want to settle? to me, the settlements that come at the courthouse steps, when you're on the very eve of trial, uh, a lot of times those settlements are coming about because somebody missed a, a procedural deadline of some kind that has nothing to do with the merits of the case, it just has to do with the procedure of the trial. Um, there, a lot more coercion, a lot more pressure, all that kind of stuff. The other thing is, if you settle on the eve of court, chances are great you're out of money. (laughs) Um, And so settling short of that and and settling in a different context, uh, to me is a huge benefit, you know. um, Some of these uh, cases that go to trial, they've been in our legal system for a year, year and a half, two years. I've tried cases that are five years old that are getting their first trial. And if they've been in court fighting each other those whole five years, you burn up a lot of money, but you also burn up a lot of relationship goodwill. You know, things get done and said in depositions and discovery and temporary hearings uh, that, are, that are hurtful and, and hard to take back. In collaborative or, or mediation, um, you want to be well informed. Uh, you want to have enough information to make an informed decision about what you're doing. But as soon as you get to that spot, um, I think it's good to, to go into one of those environments and try to settle if you can and, and save the, the time and the money and the angst and the, the anxiety of hanging around in a, in a litigation posture for you know two years or something.
1: If somebody um, is scheduled to go to mediation, what tips do you have? What can people do to prepare themselves for mediation?
0: well, there's a lot um, in, in in my practice, uh, I, you know when we set a mediation, Charlotte and I send out a little uh, mediation preparation form and I think being prepared for mediation uh, is is just the most effective thing that you can do. To be successful in mediation, and so what is preparation? Um, one on the finances, uh, it's being sure you you know you've listed all your assets. You have gathered these are the assets that we have. Uh, here's the most current information that we have on what they're worth, or how much money's in the bank account, or the, the retirement account, or the balance on the credit card, whatever it is. Um, organizing that information, um, thinking about is it separate or is it community, what are the arguments, how difficult is it to prove, all those sorts of things, but really getting organized before you come to mediation. The second biggest thing is to do a lot of thinking about, gee, what is it that I want and and why do I want it? Um, you know, when I ask people that question, they'll say, well, I want what's fair. And fair is okay. I mean, that's a a human internal compass that we all use to to try to figure out, you know, what's right and what's wrong. The challenge is, you know, if you've got four people sitting at a table, uh, all their internal compasses on what is fair is gonna be a little different because their perspective is a little different. And so, I think you need to think more about that. You know, uh, what I want is I want to be able to keep the house or what I want is the most cash flow I can figure out how to get so I can pay for the kids uh, private school or what I what I need is the most liquidity because I've got this coming up or that coming up. And think about your strategic goals and, and have a good sense of, hey, what is in my own selfish best interest. What's fair for me, but what does that really look like in terms of a result? Then the last thing is doing some thinking about what your options are. I talk all the time uh, about BATNA and WATNA. And (laughs) BATNA is if your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. And so it's like if we don't settle, Uh, what's my best possible outcome in the litigation system? What what does that look like? If we don't settle, what's my worst possible outcome uh, in the litigation system? And to be as honest about those two things as you can figure out how to to be. And this is really the lawyer's job. But if you come to uh, mediation or negotiation environment, and you've got enough information to make a informed decision about what you're doing, you know what you want, and you can look at the offers and uh, options that are coming down the pike and say, well, that meets my interest, oh, that one's way off, we need to change it. It gives you a great compass. Uh, hey, am I making progress? Is this a deal I to look at taking? And then strategically, you know, comparing it to your other options, it gives you a sense of, hey, this is way better than I could do on my best day, or at least this is better than I could do on my worst day. Those kinds of things.
1: That's great. And I, I, I'm i sitting here thinking of um, the many mediations that I've attended where you've been the mediator, and you know, the relief that comes from any clients in the days that follow. It's not unusual sometimes to have a little buyer's remorse maybe, because it's a big deal when the mediation is done and you've settled. It's hard. It's, it's over. I mean, that is a, you know, the, it's a done deal. Um, and so people need to be careful when they do that. But often more times than not, what I see my clients experience is the relief.
0: Right, you, you have some certainty Um, about what your future is going to look like. And, you know, that's one of the biggest things about going to court is you really, you know, lawyers can say, well, the system does this, can do this, can't, do. you know, we've got laws uh, that the courts are supposed to follow. Um, But there's a huge degree of unpredictability about results uh, in our legal system. And at least when you settle, you know, well, here's Here's what I've got to work with. You know, Here's what I've got to go forward with. And then you can start working on that versus just being worried to death about, you know how's it gonna come out in court?
1: Exactly. And, and really helping people start that next chapter. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what mediation allows them. Okay. Kevin, I wanna thank you for all the work that you do and for taking time to come and spend with us today. We're gonna to include links to fullermediations.com so mm-hmm. people can learn more about your mediation practice in um, Charlotte's as well, sure. and um, reach out to you all. Do you do non-attorney mediations? Do you help families? We do can-
0: some. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's not a piece of our practice that um, we are able to. It's more than anything else. It's a scheduling problem. How 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 to uh, fit folks in on a party you know that are coming in without lawyers yeah. and how to do that um but yeah we do we do we do that and i think it's an option that more people ought to look at we could talk for a long time on the <laughs> pros and cons of doing that yeah. but for many many couple we've i guess between Charlotte and i we've we've maybe done 50 to 75 mediations where the parties come in w- without attorneys for some cases that can be a really appropriate way uh, to go about it from a cost perspective, but it's by no means right for most cases.
1: Right. Well, thank you again, and um, we'll look forward to following up with you. All right.
0: Thank you for having me.